Just the way you collapsed into the. the, the they're sofa. dead. I'm under caffeinated. Wait. Mm. They're dead. <laughs> I think they're dead. <gasps> Vampire or zombie? I need to have. <gasps> are you all right, Aaron? Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to celebrate this thing called life. No. <laughs> <laughs> to mourn the loss <laughs> of our dear friend Jane, who has left <laughs> us. No. She's gone! Why? Quit telling them I died! Oh God. I'm just in the next room! Sometimes I still hear their voice! <laughs> I'm right here! Let me out! She said I could have her Harry Potter collection. She uh, said you could have her fair Harry Potter collection? She's on the podcast now. She yeah, said I right. could have her Harry it's Potter canon. collection! I don't know which one of like my seven friends you're gonna need to fight about that, but... Not me, because I have enough Harry Potter collections to go around, so... See, you're good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I think out of this room, I automatically win because I am the star kid other of this, this group. Right, so right. therefore, I automatically win. This fair. is fair. That's fair. So, dear listeners, welcome to the... Should be the 45th, but... This is our errors. We... It's really the 44th <laughs> podcast of Semi-Bookish. If you're listening today, you've been with us for about two years now, which we have a special episode coming up. Ooh. But really important, our Aaron, the Supreme Overlord's dramatic <laughs> monologue, monologue at the beginning of the podcast, interlude. <laughs> it said in honor of our dear, dear librarian Jen, moving on to the Elysium, moving onward to the Elysium Fields of Detroit Public <laughs> Library. <laughs> she is dead to us. <laughs> But I put the fun in funeral, so. <laughs> and from this point forward, this podcast is good. Future ones, she who must not be named <laughs> for dare leaving us. There's only one of those, and Jen is not that. No, we got to call her they who must not be named because the whole, I, I want to give her a non-binary no. pronoun because <laughs> I feel like she'd be really wrinkled uh, by it. No, I'm not giving her that kind of respect. Yeah. I should have brought the popcorn. Here we go. We will contact her through occasional Ouija board communications. Yes. Yes. You answer those? Yeah. Oh. We just had a funeral! Of course we're going to use the Ouija board to communicate. We had criers. We had that one awkward cousin in the corner laughing. It's okay. People should laugh at the funeral. I have a right, good time. Right, right. Okay. okay. But I think, do we need to move on and tell what we're reading? Probably. I don't know. Do we? It's about that time. I don't know. I don't know. Lord Ish. <laughs> I'm going to. I have been chosen. We've what, decided. Yes, what, what are, are you reading? What are you reading? Okay, I just started uh, Fitzpatrick's War by Theodore Judson. I have um, never heard of this book ever. Explain. Yes, it's one of my random finds okay. in like a Goodwill somewhere. Oh, America, okay. explain. Um, okay. So it is pretty much a uh, steampunk book. Um, it takes place in a steampunk slash post-apocalyptic future. Um, and that, that's not the unique part about it. What, like The unique part about it is that it's written as... A biography of this historical figure called Fitzpatrick um, by this guy who knew him and at the same time it's an annotated version of that biography by somebody like a, a century later you know okay and so and, and, and they what? and they have such a meta narrative okay and the two people have very different opinions on this historical figure and of course uh, different opinions on the society in which they live and stuff so that's where a lot of the interesting stuff comes from. And you um, found this at Goodwill? Honestly, I quite often do judge stuff by the cover, and it, it usually pays off. So. Fair enough. Okay, cool. So Fair enough. enough. Oh, nice. It's good so far. Right. Yep. Nice. I like that. Which direction? Throw Don't away. I. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just started the other day. Was it Monday? It was Monday. Um, a short story collection called Young Skins by Colin Barrett, who is an Irish writer, um, who I initially only heard about because he's attractive. <laughs> you? Never. I read an article and I was like, he is cute. Let me see what these stories are about. <laughs> um, and he's good. I read one of his stories 
on Monday, and I just started the really, really long one, which is like 70 pages, um, called Calm with Horses? Calm with Horses, uh, which has a really interesting setup. It's these two guys who uh, are connected through the marijuana that they sell together, um, back when that was illegal. Um, I don't know if it's legal in Ireland, but still, yeah. th these two Irish, you know, lads in their 20s are sitting outside of a house where both of them are going to go teach another co-drug dealer a lesson for doing definitely questionable, questionable things with one of their 14-year-old sisters. So, okay. Oh, right. Yeah, that's the setup. Like, that's the first section. Okay. Yeah, and I'm like, oh. There's a lot this to unpack. next 70 pages is going to be really interesting then, so... You know, and it's all, you know, he does this very flat tone about everything. Everything is treated exactly the same. That makes sense. I've noticed yeah. there's a very specific, like, Irish misery. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it, but it doesn't feel miserable. That's the thing. Like, he doesn't, like, you know how some authors sort of modulate for whatever you're supposed to be feeling? He doesn't do that at all. He's just like, and they shot him dead. And then they drank a beer. And then, I mean, with yeah, much that's more flair than that. But, like, it was very much just like... This thing is happening, and I'm like, uh, um, uh, okay. So it, it's interesting so far. Yeah. My turn. Yeah. Oh god, I have to unravel my thing because I, I, I crumbled this up. Did you make a list it. of what you're reading? <laughs> no, I forgot what it was called, so I wrote it down. Okay. <laughs> um, how, do you, how do you know what to write down if you forgot what it was? Because I looked at my account for the library. Let's. <laughs> Because it's there. Oh, what is it? What, is it? what are you reading? Well, give me a second. I have one that I just finished. <laughs> oh, I have a thing. Yes, the grown-ups, right? Yeah. So yes. I finished Monday Night: The Grown-Up by Gillian Flynn, which is like a short story. It was originally po published in a George R. R. Martin short story anthology yeah, thing. Okay. Um, to be honest, I didn't like it. Fair enough. Um, so the premise is basically there's like a girl and she's basically, she struggled like all her life, blah, blah, blah. And she's found basically her calling working in one of those shops that just like commits a whole bunch of different types, types of fraud, like okay. psychic fraud, like reading your tarot, reading just to get money, like oh, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also there's like a whole entire like not, there's like a, um, there is a shop in the back to entertain the husband while the wife is getting tarot reading. Of course. Prostitution. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> um, and so the girl works at the front end doing, like, the psychic stuff. She used to work at the back, and then they moved her to the front. And uh, there's this lady who comes in. <laughs> From prostitution to fraud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving it was on the up. weirdest, like, <laughs> immediate jump that I can see that happened in, like, the first ten pages. And yeah. then she turns around, and she's doing psychic readings for people, and this lady comes in, and her name is Susan. So that's how you know that this is a bad lady, because her name is Susan. <laughs> Apologies to all is Susans that, who listen to our podcast. Is that how you know? I, I, <laughs> usually it's in this day and age, isn't it? Karen? It is Karen, is that but like it used to be Susan. It used to be Susan. Oh, okay. Um, however, uh, Susan takes her to her, like, the like, girl to her house, who's unnamed. She has no name. We don't know what her name is. Mm. And apparently her house is haunted, and she wants this girl to help her out because she's a psychic, so she thinks she can help her. And she thinks that her stepson is being possessed. And then when the girl looks into it, like, online, after she's, like, met the stepson and all this other stuff, and, like, her stepson's doing weird things, like, you know, being mean to the cat, et cetera, et cetera, oh. she learns that the uh, story of the house, nobody can see this, but I'm doing the quotations, yeah. <laughs> the story of the house has a similar makeup, family makeup, two sons, uh, made family, like, um, Mary family. I, I don't know how to explain it, but like it's two people coming together and they have two separate kids. Nuclear. Great bunch stuff. Blended Nuclear. family. Blended. Blended. Thank you. Family. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. it's similar makeup and all that fun stuff. And then she turns around and she comes back to the house and she's like, I can't help you, but this is really creepy because the story is exactly the same. And then the son, stepson comes in and like shoves her into a room. And then, meanwhile, tells her that the mom is calling the cops on her because she stole jewelry. Because, apparently, the stepson wants her to kidnap him to take him to this paranormal convention in Nashville. And so he's, like, come up with this whole entire scheme to do this so he can leave. How long is this story? It's, like, 30 pages. 
And then... <laughs> this sounds like Stephen King. Odd. And then she's like, well, okay, that's fine. But the stepson is also telling her that the mom is the one who orchestrated the whole entire thing. Because the, the girl, like, had relations with her husband in the back of that shop. In the back of the shop. And so she's getting revenge. So you never find out who's exactly the one behind the whole entire thing in the first place. (laughs) Of course. And it's done so (laughs) choppy, and I'm sitting there just going, I hate this. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever read in my entire life. I guess I'll have to read Gone Girl now to see if she can redeem herself, but okay. We'll find out. (laughs) Anyways, um, I'm also just now starting uh, what makes... The dead move. What moves the dead? It's by T. King- T. Kingfisher. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, short, nice short um, TLDR is uh, Edgar Allan Poe retelling, modern retelling of uh, the Fall of the House of Usher. Oh. Yeah. And then meanwhile, I'm also playing No Man's Sky. So yeah. I need to look at that. It's so fun. <laughs> Anyways, Jen. I just started this morning. I, once, guess, once again, I finished a book before work and started a new one. <laughs> as you expect to hear me say on this podcast. That's on brand. <laughs> Not anymore. Oh, sorry. Historically, <laughs> uh, I just started. Why me? Kiss and Tell by Adia Coram. I'm only about oh. 20 pages in, so I can't okay. say too too much of the plot yet. Yeah. But uh, it's about an actual out gay boy band member, like Think One Direction, that mm-hmm. type of boy band. Okay. And apparently it's going to be some of his journey, like he has just broken up with a boyfriend, he is falling in love with a new man in their opening act, uh, the record label wants him to act as a very certain kind of gay person for the image <laughs> of the band and all of that kind of thing. That's and it's a, just, I like that as a twist. That's yes, kind of nice. so there's just going to be a lot of unpacking of, you know, probably what it means to be quote-unquote a good queer or a good gay Yeah. All right. in the setting of this novel. I also just cool. finished Very Bad People by Kit Brick which is like a dark academia thriller type thing. This 16-year-old girl's mother died suspiciously six years ago. She is now at the private school that her mother went to, hoping to find some answers, and she gets tapped to join a secret society. Like you do. I didn't think the denouement was fantastic in this one, but I really, like, it was a thrill ride. Like, I was invested in going, so. Cool. Your mileage may vary. Andy. I, actually, I do want to throw out Gideon the Ninth by Tasman Moore. Okay. Saying her name last name correctly. Okay. Yeah. Um, Gideon the Ninth. It was knights and necromancers in space. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I really liked it, but I'm gonna leave it there because I like those little preposterous little descriptions of things. Actually, it's lesbian necromancers in space. That is very <laughs> important. That is a very important distinction. <laughs> That's interesting. Because that is the literal reason I bought the book. I was like, necromancers in space sounds cool. Lesbian necromancers in space sounds much cooler. Those are, those are like the four words that I've seen anybody on the internet use to describe this book. Yes, oh. again, that's why I bought the book. <laughs> I didn't get that, like, I mean, there was a, one ha- expressing interest in someone, but I never, it didn't seem that strong <laughs> of a tone. Did you guys read the same book? I did not read the book. I'm just going off of why I bought the book. Yeah. That's all Interesting. I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, read it, then we'll talk. Um, I, would, eh. <laughs> I own it. That is You'll definitely. get to it in five years yeah. when it's no longer cool. I wanted her to keep writing lesbian necromancers in space, so I bought the book so she could have the money to do right, that, right. and she is. So I'm, I'm Mission accomplished. Yeah. But I'm also reading, I'm currently reading uh, Game Wizards by, what was it? I forgot his name. Game Wizards. John Peterson. It's another kind of epic battle for Dungeons and Dragons, a history book. Okay. Um, mm. Because there are like there's singular threads throughout the, throughout the development of Dungeons and Dragons that are always there, always present. They they don't waver in there, and and there what happens. But particularly, I'm interested in the develop like the, the development, the friendship of Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax, and the eventual split. Um, Right. Between the two, because they got together for uh, got together through a shared love of like war games and miniature games, mm-hmm. and um, it kind of this one is like honing a little bit more on the legal aspects of like ownership of because um, a lot of the idea the the more creative fantasy ideas did sounds like they came from Dave Arneson, but it was Gary Gygax and a few other people took the ideas, put them to paper, gave them form and structure, and it's. Mm-hmm. 
for that reason, they get most of the credit. Well, Gary gets most of the credit, mm -hmm. and Dave Arneson is going through like legal battles, like, no, no, I need to get money in. They're like, okay, you have the idea, but like your idea in and of itself cannot be copyrighted, copyrighted until you create something based on your idea, because it's like he had a nebulous idea of an like of what he wanted his fantasy game to be, yeah, and it was kind of cleared up by other people, and they're getting the credit. <laughs> and he like saw none of these people signed contracts before they started yeah. working. <laughs> well, all of them, like even Gary Gygax and some of the other people, like that, that are. That figure into the develop development of D and D, uh, they might be brilliant in the respect of like their ideas created something that resonates still like 25, 30 years later, mm -hmm. um, but they don't sound that brilliant, really. <laughs> when was this game invented? Seventy-two. How many years right. later? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> My degree is I'm not, not good in at mathematics. Math, but I'm not that bad at math. Yeah, it, is, it is a little bit longer than that. Oh, Lord. So like 40, 50 years. Actually, Which is wow. even cooler. So wow, like, really, think about that. Like That is almost like 50 years. Yeah. That's, holy shnikes. But yeah, that's what I'm reading. Um, that's what I have read. Gideon the Ninth, great. And mm -hmm. Game Wizards. And I'm going to start soon, probably in the next day. Um, I forgot the name of it, but the sequel to Psalm, A Psalm for the Wild Built. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I don't remember. I'm really excited for it. <laughs> a Prayer for the Crown Shy? That's yeah. it! That is what it is. <laughs> Good. There you go. Nice. Nicely done. So. Nice. Cool. Just in time for the third one to come out, which is soon. Mm -hmm. yeah. a, a chant for the uh, 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 Steelborn? <laughs> sure. sure. No, but I like it. Is Legend... Legend Four sequel comes out in September. Okay, good. Oh, yeah, good. so much of why it got pushed back because of COVID. And just However, stuff. what are we yeah. talking about today, Jen? My brand, historical fiction. My brand. My brand. <laughs> Use your special eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, have you ever seen that commercial? commercial. My brand. <laughs> We'll find it for you later. Okay. okay. Yeah, send it, send it in the chat. It's uh, a whole entire context commercial. Anyways, Jen, let's talk about historical fiction. Mm -hmm. What do you want to talk about? What Everything? is it for the, for the listeners? I mean, just in case they've been living under a rock, um, what is historical fiction? Man, now you have Patrick crying in the corner. Yes. Fiction that is set in the past. And I would say, as much as you know, we treat things like Pride and Prejudice as historical fiction nowadays, I feel like there is a distinct difference mm -hmm. between like fiction that was contemporary when it was published and like historical fiction, which was actively written in a time period that is not the time period. Oh, especially with, is, yeah. yeah. So yeah, now it would be considered historical fiction, but yeah, technically it's not. Well, yes. no, because the thing about Pride and Prejudice is that it was written in a time in which historical fiction was being written as historical fiction. So like. And one of the genres they wanted, like, I think it was The Prince of Wales. Yes, The Prince of Wales loved Jane Austen, by the way, which is why she dedicated Emma to him. And he kept writing her, saying, you should write a historical romance next. <laughs> and she, being Jane Austen, used her entire arsenal in all of her letters to go, or maybe I should just write what I'm good at, which is this. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe so, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, right. You so question, like, you know. How about no? <laughs> Are Westerns historical fiction? I mean, it depends. If, there, if it is someone in 2022 writing an 1877 Western, then yeah, absolutely, it's historical fiction. Okay. Historical even... romance is also a type mm -hmm. of historical fiction. Yeah. You know, historical fantasy, depending on if it's set at least partially in, you know, quote unquote, our world. That's yeah, a right. One that's what people the... think about would be um, Outlander. Yeah, I mean, Outlander. Kind of, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, Absolutely. There's a fantasy element to it. Especially, but, like, yeah. I right. thought Diana Gabaldon did a decent amount of homework, like, for the time period mm -hmm. and everything oh, like she that, too. Was, she was thorough. <laughs> she just also fudged things, because she's like, oh, and by the way, time travel. Yes, you're allowed a little <laughs> more fudging room if you're going to yeah. throw time travel. Which, time. honestly, she's even said, like, the only reason the time travel was there in the first place is because as she was writing the story, this, in her head the character who is the narrator, what's her name? Claire. Claire kept making modern, <laughs> smart, blank remarks about <laughs> the historical past that she was trying to carve. And she's like, okay, this character won't shut up. What am I going to do with her? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> she's time, time travel. <laughs> so, you know, 
Sometimes historical fiction just happens that way. Doctor Who is not historical fiction. What? Okay, just be clear. <laughs> like, like, you know. Yeah. I think the first novel that I consciously could realize was historical fiction was, it's not even that long ago, it's not even that old, was a Crispin Cross of Lead by... by Avi? Thank you. Oh! I, like, I, I read that like shortly after its release because oh. I think one of my nieces and nephews were reading it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll pick this up. Ah, yeah, nice. his wheelhouse. Is... I I really yeah. going back in time. Like, I, what is it? Pillars of the Earth. Mm. Oh yeah, that's one. You know, yeah. and other other novels start to come to mind. Like, oh yeah, that's that's historical fiction. But mm. it's not unless it's put in front of me. I typically don't pursue it. Hmm. Why? You <laughs> <laughs> mean like not actively? Yeah, I. It's like I, I don't wake up like oh, I want to read a historical fiction today. I don't see a cover and instantly fall in love with it. Like, okay, so I, as a reverse, yeah. Why do you, Jen, mm-hmm. actively seek yeah. out? I don't necessarily like. Not that I don't enjoy it. Like that when I see historical fiction, that like rings my bell more. But I don't necessarily rings like only bell. look for historical fiction right. either. I will say. Yeah. But like, I kind of like, especially, like, given the state of the world the past couple of years. <laughs> Whatever it, could you mean? Yeah. What could I mean? Because there are many possible choices. <laughs> but, like, it is comforting. And again, some of this is things written by current authors speculating back to the past, or mm-hmm. doing, especially doing the research and going back to the past. Yeah. But the ties that people are able to draw, not just between, you know, the 1918 flu pandemic and the current COVID pandemic. Yeah. But, like, living in that situation, like, I found a weird amount of comfort of, like, books set during the London Blitz when we were in, like, the height of COVID lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Because they're similar vibes. Right. Like, it was just like, you know, I was trying to pull some of that keep calm and carry on spirit into my own 2022 life. Or my 2021 or my 2020 life. Yeah. And again, because, you know, the books weren't written yet for contemporary fiction. We were still living it. Yeah. But you could pull some of that comfort and some of that spirit from, you know, a London Blitz set book or whatever, Mm. what have you, pull from your other areas of history. Yeah. And kind of get some of that comfort, like, okay people have gone through crap before we will go through crap again mm-hmm. you can get through it there mm-hmm. are things on the other side it mm-hmm. might feel terrible while you're in it it felt terrible while they were in it they didn't know when it was going to end either yeah but they were able to eventually pull out of it yeah yeah historical mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when does question because you made a comment about um you said it, i believe you referenced jane Eyre. jane austen I'm but sure either jane also Eyre, counts jane, um when does <laughs> Because at the time of their their writing, their publication, they were, for the time, contemporary fiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. When does, it, this is a kind of multi-tiered question, when does contemporary fiction become historical fiction? And to follow up with that, it's and this is kind of an ignorant line of thought, I'm not mm-hmm. going to hide it, is there any dialogue out there where people are saying, you know, now that's historical fiction because it's I don't history. know if I've heard of anybody seeing like some sort of excellent benchmark for it, I think, you know, probably easily, because, like, there's a very nebulous, like, obviously, contemporary fiction that is set in the year, or, you know, if it's being published in 2022, but it's, you know, in 2021, very contemporary fiction. Right, yeah. You can even kind of go back, like, five-ish years before anybody starts having questions. There's a very nebulous, like, what do we do with books that are maybe... 10 to 15 to 20 years old Mm. and then I feel Mm. like you get 20 years back and it's just historical fiction at that point. Like people are writing children's novels set during 9-11 that I think are kind of branded as historical historical, fiction because those children weren't alive for 9-11 which is horrifying for people who were alive during Mm -hmm. 9-11. Well it's weird or not horrifying but just like you know it takes your brain outside of your body It does. but it it is weird seeing (laughs) books that are set in the 90s and they're referenced that way they're like set in the 1990s of blah and I'm like oh yeah like once you start mentioning a time period I think that makes it more like you know once you have to say a time period it kind of becomes historical right but it's like oh yeah everybody my age has children now so I uh, or like there's even also (laughs) for things like where's the dividing line the 90s we might have finally had enough time to get a little bit of like retrospect and hindsight and all of that kind of thing mm-hmm. we're still processing a lot of the 2000s and especially the 2010s the 2020s obviously sure. Sure. we have not necessarily had the time for the hor- sort of like is it historicized what's the like 
Historicization. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's a horrible word. Yeah, like I'm not quite sure. I feel like there is like a term for what historians do that I'm not thinking of right mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. But like again, with things like, you know, World War One, World War Two, previous times, mm-hmm. the civil rights movement in the 60s, whatever era of historical fiction you're writing, we have had time to see a bigger picture around that again. There have been time for things to come out about, you know, how certain parties were treated during those eras. There's been time for the news to come out that, like, King Edward VIII was a Nazi. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. Was I can't remember if he was seven or eight. I believe he was eight. Yeah. I don't recall. Queen Elizabeth's uncle who abdicated. Yeah. And that, his that wife. Edward. Oh, that one. Were definitely Nazis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was, like, kind of, sort of, obviously, you know, certain people knew back in the day, but we've had more time to, like, process what that might mean mm-hmm. this many years down the line. Mm-hmm. We've had more time to see that even though they called it the Spanish flu pandemic, it didn't originate in Spain. Right. That's just the only country that wasn't at war at that time who was willing to publish news about a flu pandemic right. breaking out. Exactly, because, yeah, it would have endangered literally the yes. way that the because every operated. other country's newspapers were like here's how many people died in battle today we don't care about your flu yeah right yeah because and uh, yeah yeah um irrelevant what was i thinking about so like i think just also when there's been to go back to my point when there's been time for again at least a generation of people to look back and go oh hey Look at all these bigger threads that were at play that they can't see when they were living through it. Yeah. That that makes it more historical fiction than it does, again, a book that has just lasted long enough to be set in the past. And sometimes, too, it takes... So, I think it was Toni Morrison's 10th novel um, is set in the 1950s. And she, she was like, part of what I wanted to do was talk to people who weren't there because they have this idea of the 1950s because they've been listening to their grandparents that it's like leave it to beaver and i'm here to tell you it was not (laughs) and so sometimes it creative writers are like wait a minute i lived through that what are you talking about and they just start you know I feel like we're probably going to have to do that in the next, you know. No, and especially, <laughs> yeah, the very dominant narrative, the whole display we made once. Thank you for the idea, Grant. Was like, hey, it's a white woman in a in a coat dress looking away from the camera <laughs> on the cover of a historical fun. fiction novel, yes, and it's right. fantastic. And I love right. those books. You know that that is my catnip all day, every day. Mm-hmm. But like, I also love that we are getting more like um, Sisters in Arms, which was a black woman World War II book, like yes. written by a black woman about an all-black female battalion mm-hmm. that actually served during yes, World War II. Like, did. real people are in this book. I love that we are also finally getting the market space open to have that kind of story yeah. get a mainstream publishing deal. Yeah, there's a great... There's a book I am very interested in that's coming out in the next few weeks called My Government Means to Kill Me. Oh, I've heard that title. About a black gay man in the AIDS era. Mm-hmm. Um, who gets very heavily involved with ACT UP, I mean, in everything. I mean, he's like... So basically, it's your traditional AIDS narrative. It's just a black person. Yeah, centering a different Never see. Every single AIDS narrative you have ever seen that is ever, like... They're not that they're popular anyway. I mean, like, there's angels in America and then crickets. Like, nobody... <laughs> nobody What's the normal heart? Yes, but it took Ryan, Ryan Murphy, Murphy making that movie, and still people, have ne- you know how many people have never seen that movie? So you I know. mean, I haven't either, but that's because I don't want to watch, what, oh. is it Mark Ruffalo die while Matt Bomer cries, or is it the other way around? It's the other way around. I don't um, want to watch that. It's, I am not emotionally prepared to watch that. Oh, that's <laughs> fair. No, you know, it is, that's one of those things about AIDS, so AIDS era storytelling is some of my favorite historical it because you do have that sort of weird dichotomy. You have the people who lived through it, who wrote about it because they're like, if we don't write about it... Who will? N- because people already don't care enough to make sure we have medication to not die. Therefore, all of us could die from this thing. And somebody no one's going to talk about it. So everyone was just sort of like literally writing about all of their friends and lovers dying. <laughs> so you have a lot of memoir, you have a lot of fiction, you have plays. I mean, just everything that you could possibly think of. Tick, tick, boom, kind of. Right. So then now you have, and I would even say Rent is like definitely a historical like dramatization. Kind because of it was I mean, he was kind of writing it almost in the era, kind of. 
kind of. I mean, but he was he also been, writing yeah, it while true. he had it. Yeah, I guess it would have That's interesting. It's a little bit nebulous. So I do feel yeah. like it's not exactly, like, you know, it came out in 96 or whatever, but I don't necessarily feel like it's set in 96. It could be a couple yeah. years back. But. Yeah, so it, it, again, so you have all that happening, and then, like, fast forward to now, you do have people who didn't go through it able to look back from a historical lens. Yes, we're members of the queer community, so we've got that part figured out. But on the flip side, we don't really have any idea of what it's like to live with that kind of trauma's too light of a word. I mean, it's just like every day someone's not waking up that you yeah. may or may not have slept with. <laughs> that that's like it's like a living tragedy. Just, and yeah. it's, you know and it is and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, it's it, Larry Kramer was very much one of those people who was like, hey, guys, here's an idea. Stop sleeping with each other. It would kind of help. And everyone's like, dude, this is the only way we express ourselves. So it's like even just going back to that, like a great historical fiction from the perspective of the person who's making it, but also from the perspective of the person who's reading it, can really take you back to a time that if you weren't there, you really don't know. Yeah. Um, And it can situate you, you know, Mm -hmm. to know what it's like to be in a bunker yeah. and not I think, know yeah. whether you're going to come out of the bunker. No, I think that is like the best kind of historical <laughs> fiction really does. Again, you mm-hmm. feel the bunker shattering around you. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're in the protest march with whoever you're marching with. You yeah. feel like you are in, again, whatever place and whatever time you're fighting alongside Washington. You're doing whatever it is that you're doing. The torture scene in Codename Verity, which yeah. I don't, I've you're not getting, read many fictional you're novels tortured by the Nazis. Tor- people getting tortured other than Game of Thrones. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> Medieval torture and Nazi torture are not quite yeah. the same. That's that's all. <laughs> that was so like you know I'm just saying that I can't even like base it on like other yeah. torture examples, but yeah. that was, right. no, that was especially pretty, with like, how heartbeat understated increasing. it kind of is too. Like she's just writing it down in a list basically, and you're like, oh god, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's another thing that like figuring out how people. Beloved does this really well in the sense that like. All of the slaves are, are all the slaves. All of the characters are ex-slaves or descended from ex-slaves, mm-hmm. and so the ways in which they, like, they're not living in a time where there's any kind of activism, so they just know what it feels. I mean, they just are doing it. So the idea that someone would kill her own children to keep them from being slaves to us is like why why yeah. would you do but like it's so like it just happens like you're suddenly you're reading the scene and you're just like oh 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 my god and it just well it's an I mean, interesting you know, exploration yeah. of like history um leading into the nonfiction for a moment but it was victor frankl's man's search for meaning mm-hmm. in which he relates waking up waking ne- next to one of his bunkmates i mean he was in the camp one of the camps and waking up next to his bunkmate who was having a nightmare, and his initial reaction was to wake the guy. But then as a educated uh, educated therapist, mm-hmm. um, he's like, no, because let him enjoy his nightmare because what he wakes up to is far worse than Ooh. the nightmare. That's yeah. pretty heavy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> those so are, like... <laughs> those actual Holocaust stories that are not historical fictional get you. That's true. But yeah. just like what you were talking about there, like the concept mm-hmm. and that problem, like, I would imagine that happened. It more, did more it frequently. Was, like, it was based off of an actual like. I mean, there was a newspaper oh. clipping in which someone went to go interview a woman named Margaret Garner, who did that, and, but she actually <clears throat> succeeded in killing at least one of her children. Didn't Toni Morrison's character why are we laughing? succeed? That's right, Toni's Morrison. Yeah, why yes. Morrison's character succeeded, Margaret Garner did not. Okay, they I was just caught, saying, I thought that was the whole deal yeah, of they Beloved. Ca- they caught Margaret Garner, you know, before she was, but she was close. Okay. And so they, the newspaper was interviewing her, you know, she was in jail, whatever, for whatever. But at the time, the whole concept, her it was her mother-in-law who said, I watched her do it, and I neither encouraged her nor condemned her. Yep, yep. So it's just like, if people living in the time watch it, watching this happen can't go, can't like teeter in either direction. It's, it, I, I think that's gotta be one of the tricks of historical fiction, because there's, 
there's yeah, I do feel like the very successful yeah. stories are like when you go to the author's note in the back and they're like, I spent four years reading newspaper articles to write my homework for this story. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that's how we got the feeling of this here. The number of times that I've read Goodreads reviews, because I was doing a lot of Egyptian research because I do that sometimes, and I was looking <laughs> at historical fiction from Egypt, because I haven't read a lot of those. So I was like, all right, which ones do I want? So I was looking through Goodreads just to see who had what, and what people thought of them. And what I found very, very interesting is, regardless of whether or not the person reviewing the book is a historian, people think they know way more about certain historical periods than they do just because they've read a lot of historical fiction within a period, and it's like, boom. Or they remember, (laughs) like, fourth grade history class and nothing (laughs) past it. Yes. But also, the other thing that was even more interesting than that was the number of people who would look at, like, 15-year-old kings and go, this person is behaving like a teenager. I just don't believe they would have done that. And it's like, they're a 15-year-old who has the power of a god at their fingertips. Of course they're, like, what? Why wouldn't they go? Literally. So then, okay, (laughs) to take some, have, like, any examples of, like, noticeably bad historical fiction or things that you associate with noticeably Ooh. bad historical fiction or anything like that? Ooh. That's, I mean, The Boy in the Striped Pajamas is pretty widely panned, right? <laughs> yes. I, I, I never read the book. Sure. I've only seen the movie. I only I've saw only the movie. I've seen the movie, and the movie does do that thing that, like, I don't like, and if the book does this, I do think it's bad, which is, you know, it gives you this great story... And then suddenly, towards the end, the twist is, did you see where the boy in the striped pajamas was headed to? Looks kind of like Auschwitz, don't it? Wink, wink, nod, nod. And you're like, okay. That, that is exactly, that, in fact. I, I have not read the book since probably about 2009, so, like, yeah. forgive my lack of memory of it. Sure. But, like, it definitely ends with, like, hey, he put on his striped pajamas to match his friend, and then he and his friend walk towards this, like, very scary kind of looking building because they were told like you know they had to go over here or whatever yeah when they did that in the movie i was sitting there just going oh i'm in eighth grade having to watch that <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was the most i was like okay but also john boyne very noticeably does not do his homework properly <laughs> i've heard that books. before too. <laughs> because the other fantastic that this came out like a couple of years ago yeah it's pretty recent mm-hmm. whatever one of his newest adult historical fiction books was was it the heart's Sacred Furies? Is yeah, that, something like that. It yeah. might have been that one, I think, I that think this was, that, was re- that this was related to. Mm-hmm. He's got, like, a character who's trying to, like, create basically, like, a homebrew potion or something like this. Mm-hmm. And what he apparently did, and what everyone figured out what he apparently did, was just, like, straight up Googled, like, health restoration potion or something like this. And pulled, like, the first article that just showed up in, like, the Google bar that pops up. Like, not even clicking on an article necessarily, but, like, you know how Google just sometimes gives you, like, an answer bar right there? (laughs) And where was the recipe from, Jen? I don't remember where the recipe was from specifically, but I do know that it was, like, a Legend of Zelda recipe. (laughs) Because it specifically includes an ingredient that only exists in Legend of Zelda games. (laughs) Yep. You're talking about the Hearts Invisible Furies. The Hearts Invisible Furies. That's, that's the thing. The I from 2017. Yes. Yeah, that that was a whole. That was yeah, such like, a mess. <laughs> there are people who do their homework, and then there's John Boyne. His most recent one is called The Echo Chamber. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. A bad example. I don't. Or just again, like things I think of too are think. like, uh, you know. Oh no! They can't know what kissing is. It's 1840, and they didn't do that. <sighs> <laughs> and they slept in separate yeah. beds, too. Yeah, it's 1950s, so they all slept in separate beds. Or the number of times that it's very obvious that... Black people didn't exist till 1962. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, they write this thing, and you're like, Downton Abbey is guilty AF of this. Throw it out. Where I'm just like... So you have a gay character, right? Mm-hmm. I love Thomas. I love how savage he is. I love that he gets to stay savage. I'm glad that you love Thomas um, because I, lo- I, I like that that is who he gets to be. Fair enough. Because that gives him something else to be other than just the gay Downton Abbey character. Yeah, and because it'd be so easy. <laughs> and like, not that he's not, but like, so easy to just make him like the sad gay boy who can't find someone to love. Literally, right. And so there's, it already skirts that Insert line. Queen. But by the time they bring in 
the only black character of any significance, possibly the only black character in the entire show. There's a black woman singer in the movie. That you're not helping. <laughs> I am not. You continue. Not <laughs> he literally is only there, and the characters tell him this. Like, when Mary actually says it, I'm like, thank you. She literally looks at him and is like, you do realize that the only reason that, like, maybe Rose has some feelings for you, but literally the only reason she's doing this is because she hates her mom, and she knows that her mom would really hate if she married you. Just FYI. And I'm like, why? Why? And, like, he quote-unquote does his homework by making the guy an American jazz singer, which is, like, that's the only way you could find a way to put black people in early 20th century small-town England. Bull. I don't buy it. It is. <laughs> this is why we can only trust our Lord and Savior, Heidi Thomas. <laughs> Correct. She did do that, um... Oh my goodness, the movie. Ballet Shoes. Thank you. <laughs> Which, is that historical fiction? I mean, no, it's revealed. Was maybe writing that in the 50s and setting it in the 30s. So oh, like, that kind of, again. Yes, I'll take it. Yeah. I'll take or like, I've, maybe it was also, because I feel like it was published post-war, but I don't remember this for certain. Mm. I know the book itself is set in like 36 or 38 or something like that. Mm. Yeah, okay. But I forget when exactly, because I feel like it was post-war that she was publishing, but I don't remember this for certain. Yeah. Yeah. Book Riot um, ranks uh, Beloved as one of the top, top or the fifth, um, number five on the books of 50 books historical fiction you must read. Well, I mean, sure. you know. They're not runs. It's so good. Do you have favorites? I mean, we have already mentioned my favorite, Codename Verity. Mm. Love of my right, life. Right, right. Is it your, it's your favorite, or is it your current favorite? Or Codename Verity might be my favorite book of all time. It's well deserved. It definitely. Right. I'm not gonna. Yeah, like I have reread it every year since I first read it in 2020. Okay. All right. Hmm. Okay. I see. All right. I'm a little sad that it didn't hasn't gone out, and because Margie put it up as her. Margie's got her staff pick as we record. Somebody go out there and find it. Yeah, definitely. I do love Kate Quinn's novels. The Diamond Eye was really good. The Rose Code Mm -hmm. is one of my favorites. She Mm -hmm. does a very good job Mm -hmm. writing a good story. I feel like there's more. That again, I might just need to kind of sit. Like, I always need a second to, like, sit and process and then throw them at people. But those two would be mm-hmm. easily top tier favorites of mine. Obviously, yeah. m- mentioning Heidi Thomas, a.k.a. the woman who writes called The Midwife. Oh, right. That's, that is yes. why <laughs> she is the only person. Because also, like, listening to her talk about her research process is incredible. Like, she is going back in medical archives, and she's like, oh, like, there's documented, like, written book lines of her saying. Yeah. Like, okay, so we know that this season's set in 1961 which means that polio was eradicated, so I can't use that as a disease anymore. I'm not allowed to have that on the table. Wow. She's like, but there was, in like this area of London, or like, you know, there was a typhoid outbreak at this time, so I'm allowed to use that, and but like, you know, mm-hmm. they changed the clothing styles as, you know, things from the 50s change into styles from the 60s. Right, yeah. They've introduced like Windrush characters. Mm, I believe that's nice. the era to yeah. which I'm referring. Yeah. Don't question what a yeah. Windrush character Wind, is. Like um, Jamaican immigrants influxing into the mm-hmm. UK yeah. proper to find work mm-hmm. and all yeah. of that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's the Windrush generation. Yes. We've got two Windrush characters. Oh. Nice. Lucille and Cyril in later seasons. Nice. Very They're proper ma- British names. <laughs> yes. They're married. It's great. Nice. Oh, I like. That's cool. I'm trying to think. I don't read enough historical fiction as an adult. I read it as a kid. I mean, if you got children's um, favorites, or if you got, you know, Downton. As I mean, Johnny, Tr- <laughs> Johnny Tremaine scarred me. It still scars me. Thinking Why is that? Well, one, it was the first book that ever made me cry. Like, yeah. not just like, oh, you know, a gentle tear, strolling down my cheek. No, like full on sobbing <laughs> mess, um, because this kid is apprenticed to a silversmith silversmithing is very dangerous. It sure is. But Johnny is very good, especially for a 15-year-old. He has very steady hands, which the master no longer has. So the master has turned over most of his work to Johnny because... He doesn't want to die, he yes. Doesn't want to, he doesn't want to happen what happens to Johnny, which is <laughs> Johnny takes on a really, really, really challenging thing that the master says, you're good, but you're not that good. So don't. I'll 
get it done when I have a steady hand day. Um, and Johnny's like, that ain't coming. I'm just going to do this. And arrogantly begins to do it at the beginning of the chapter. And by the middle of the chapter, a silversmithing accident happens, mm-hmm. which is described in glorious detail. And it, it hurts. I'm <laughs> like, sure it it's does. Just, it's, it's physically gut-wrenching. So, you know, there's that. And that's like chapter five. Yeah. <laughs> early on. So oh, I mean, not to interrupt anyone else's turn, please go around after I've interjected one more. Eva Ibbotson's historical fiction. Again, I know everyone oh, loves her for like which A Company which. of Swans, right? That yes, one. Company okay. of Swans and all of that. They're great. They are very soapy. They do that classic historical fiction thing, especially for books. Because she was, again, writing... I know that she was not living in the periods about what she was writing, but it was yeah. also still, like, the 50s and 60s. Yeah. But all of her books involve this thing where it's, like, a 30-year-old man falls in love with an 18-year-old girl. It's great. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well... Know that going into okay, it. Okay, okay. Like, it reads... Like, I look for weird power dynamics. It reads well enough that you can pretty much get through it yeah. if you just kind of accept and know that it's coming. But like A Company of Swans is very much like an 18-year-old girl falls in love with a 30-year-old man. It happened. Yeah. Uh, I, it did happen, but like she's one of the people who tries to just like pull this off as like totally normal. Nobody would have questions about this. Oh, right. And even in the time period, that would have been... Yeah. Yeah. It, it That's the thing, too, is just even thinking about like it's fine. Obviously, getting swoony is a thing that we enjoy, especially in storytelling. But when you check that against what really would have been happening, um, you know, that's one of the things that makes anyone who is trying to write Regency, it's what separates the... The, the good from the less good. Yeah, the, it's the people who recognize that, yes, there were people who were falling in love, yes, there were people who were being made to marry, and yes, there were people who were doing both at the same time, but it was a very complicated soup. And so the idea that, you know that it was so commonplace that it was, that people were falling in love with each other and that yeah. that was a big deal. No. <laughs> it happened in six of Jane Austen's novels and it wasn't always easy persuasion. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's... Anyway. There's my whole rant about how people should treat history. One okay. of them. It, it feels like we're just more, like we've boiled it down to do your homework. Like, don't yeah. just think you know history and write historical fiction. Do a little, like, especially if you have, like, a very specific, you know, you know you want your woman to be a newspaper reporter. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're saying it's, you know, it's 1918 and no women have written newspaper stories, like, Nellie Bly was there. Do your homework. Also, don't be afraid to ask the question that you think no one in that time period was asking. Um, I was really, 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 really wanting to see what a trans character in ancient, in, you know, the 19th dynasty of Egypt would look like if at all possible. And that led me down a rabbit hole of current, you know, like, from the last five years, Egyptologists, mostly female, asking the very same question, but in history. Like, I'm just trying to do it in historical fiction and cheat. They're not cheating at all because they have to hold up to, like, academic scholarship. And they were going in on, like, 20 to 30 page, you know, research pieces about gender in that very dynasty. And I'm like... I'm not crazy! Oh my gosh! So, yeah. Okay, did anybody else have favorites they wish to drop in the chat? Anything that's Rudus to Pettis makes me happy in True. life. But yeah, also makes right. me cry! Yeah, you that's do like it. Yeah. Uh, uh, reasonable. I heard she's good. I must betray you, did, uh, did do that. Yeah. Also weird to call that book set in 1989 historical fiction, but here we are. <laughs> you know, it's like a... We okay, but it doesn't make earlier. sense when you realize what it's about. Yeah. Stop it. So. I was one years old. It does not make sense. <laughs> no. Put that back. You know, the movie, <laughs> judging by this weird little, like, kind of, like, age discrepancy kind of thing, music that I listened to in high school, that's oldies now. Yep. So, like, we're talking, like, contemporary fiction making the jump to now being historical fiction. That's where my mind went. Like, I'm going to see Wu-Tang in, like, a month to the day. That's oldies. Can, can they still get around the stage? You're going to hear their knees creaking as they walk around? or Probably, as long as, you know, maybe one of them comes out with a walker. We'll see. But... It's a weird little realization, so it's like, you gotta admit it, you're getting up there, Tony. I get it. All the kids now are listening to music that I was listening to when I was their age, and I'm like, how do y'all even... It's back? Somebody did a TikTok video? Do y'all even know what that song is talking about? <laughs> okay, fine. You know, get your gin and juice life. I'm good. <laughs> Great. Andy? Yeah. Uh, I, 
I'd say my... Ugh. I don't know, like, I'm not a huge reader of historical fiction either, but um, I really, really enjoyed um, Pillars of the Earth, which Andy oh, mentioned. Yeah, you did, yeah. I read that last year, or maybe it was a year before, maybe it was two years ago. I can't remember at this point. It was right before Dune, I remember that. Yes, yes it was. <laughs> um, that was the thing I had to get through before I started, so... Fair enough. Um, I mean, that just kind of has everything you'd want, you know? It's a big book. It, it's it's, it's, it's massive. a good size. All it's of them are very... Yes, and I still need to move on to the others. Feels like a good saga um, situation. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. It covers a lot of ground. Um, and since Westerns are historical fiction... Yeah, um, uh, True Grit, I really, really love. Mm. I feel like that doesn't get the credit deserved. I've heard it's really good. It yeah. is really good. Um, kind of in a similar thing. Definitely a darker counter counterpart to that. Um, Blood Meridian, Cormac oh, McCarthy. Oh, McCarthy, yeah. That's right. like one of my all-time mm. favorite ones. Mm. Um, the Painted Bird by the guy, I can't pronounce his name. He's, a, he's Polish. It's a... Holocaust book. He lived through the Holocaust, oh, but it's a fictional story. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's harrowing, but What's it's uh, The Painted Bird. It was actually recently turned into a really good movie. It's like three hours long, but if you have the time, sit down and watch Jersey those, those Holocaust <laughs> stories are. Which, okay. It, it, sorry, okay. go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, going back to uh, that, uh, your, the, the Irish person you're reading. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Painted Bird is told in a very flat tone, and that kind of makes it even more... Oh, arrow. yeah, it does. Oh. Night yeah. by Ellie Weasel, which is not his, his fiction. Also told But really it has flat. a very, mm -hmm. like, every... Very it's, there's no ornamentation whatsoever, mm -hmm. and it's only, like, 90 yeah. pages. It is very bleak. It is very But flat. when you read it, you're like, thank you. I don't need your ornamentation, because this yeah. hurts enough. Like, yeah. Yeah. like I, this I, makes I me want to rip my heart yeah, out. It would kind of hurt, almost, if some of those stories were told with, like, a very descriptive yeah. style. Yeah. Like, it would it wouldn't have the power it has. Yeah, yeah that's exactly If they right. were trying... And, like, you don't need to dress it up. There is... No! I mean, presents it to yeah. you. Like, what's to dress up? I mean... Do you no. think, though, with reference to, like, any Holocaust books, World War II books, do you think that's an overdone era of historical fiction? No. And I will say this only... I, I say this strongly to point, point out because it's the same thing, like, with slavery. I don't read a lot of slavery books. Um, and after reading Beloved, I feel like I don't have to. <laughs> because you, you probably I got the best one. Right, because I don't like going there. Like, I'm just like, mm-mm. I do not need to spend every year angry at white people. I work with too many of you. Thank you. <laughs> we it love just, you, too. That's what, but seriously, that's what slavery narratives bring out in me. So I don't read them, because I'm like, mm-mm, I got it. it. Thank you. But on the flip side, I can read AIDS narratives all day, <laughs> all day long. It's the idea that it needs to keep being cultivated because if we don't, we will lose it. Because there, and also, especially for like World War II and the Holocaust, there is a far too high percentage of like Holocaust deniers out there. That, yes, and exactly. some of them, I think, are you know they might genuinely just be like twelve and not fully get it yet, but some of them are grown adult people who mm -hmm. should know better. It's who are older weird. than we are, who could have had relatives. Mm -hmm. Again, well, like the, my parents like. My grandpa was alive during World War Two, but he was like six, so it doesn't yeah. quite right. But have the Holocaust the same. generation themselves are Dying. dead. I mean, there's maybe like two more people left. I mean, like they're not yeah. here no, no more. No, they are like, very yeah. They're not quite dying. They're pretty much gone. They're pretty at much this point. gone. And right. If we lose those narratives. Yeah. And so, we allow Holocaust denial to come up mm -hmm. in more popular culture. We are heading down a terrible road. Yeah. I get. I. How some of like the you know oh it's a plucky World War Two resistance woman like I get how some of that might be kind that's of just marketing yeah. yeah yeah reaching its zenith I get if that's not everyone's preferred genre and mm -hmm. they want to branch out from there but like I feel like Holocaust stories specifically I think it's like need to have there is an overabundance also I might need to tap out very soon because you know, some of us have another she's al she already out. leaving us y'all it's just too much <laughs> okay hey, as like, she walks out yes we had a special one for you okay oh no the third one is a wild card oh no. Oh. Smack. Oh no. Would you rather snog Mary Avada Kedavra, Charles Dickens, oh. John Boyne, or Philippa Gregory? That's who I was I gonna go with! God about her. Oh! <laughs> don't get me <sighs> I know she's not particularly I am historically accurate. Correct. But I've never read any of her stuff, so I don't have an opinion. Like she I don't the other this. boiling girl. Yeah, like I know that they're all ridiculous. <laughs> But at least they're like so. Read Wolf ridiculous. Hall instead. Skip okay. the other bullet. Did we just get Sorry. Tony a headache? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to kill both Charles Dickens and John Boyd. 
Oh, yeah, right. I knew you were going to say listen, that about listen, Dickens. Listen. You put the poison lipstick on. Yeah. You kiss one right. of them, and there they go. I, listen, I'm going to snog and have a great time with Dickens because baby Dickens was so cute. So cute. And also, he was a terrible husband. So, don't want to marry that guy. Um, John Boyne, honestly... I'll marry him just because that means I get to spend some time in Ireland and maybe I can help correct his tendency to just Google things. Like he did recently, you know, within the past few years, came under fire for rejecting the term cis. Because um, he's, I am not a cis man. I, I reject the term cis. I am just a man. Of, he's a member of the UK and they all have bees yeah. in their bonnets about anything trans. So, you know, there's that. And I'm going to definitely AK Philippa Gregory because, boo, you trifling. (laughs) Trifling for what you did to the Bolin sisters. They did not deserve that. That was mean. That's fair. I get it. She's built her whole career off of those women. But, like, girl, bye. Leave them alone. As she leaves the building, goodbye, Jen. the building. I have to go to the reference desk. You are hard on Wait, who's Jen? I've forgotten already. <laughs> Dearly beloved, we are once again gathered here. Don't miss me too much. You know what's going to happen? If you need talk to the library, they'll know where to find me. If you Our like. numbers are going to go down. They will. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I know my word. Uh, ow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Wait, so what's the next episode? Well... It's going to be a, a kind of a two-year anniversary podcast, but oh, yeah. I was actually thinking, as we're recording, the makeup is changing. The <gasps> formula's going to have to change a little bit, too. What do you mean? In what sense? That's a hell of a void. Sure. The majority of the talking was done by you and Jen. <laughs> well, it depends on the topic. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to choose, you know, more generative subjects. She's got, you know, figuratively, big boots to fill. Yeah. Are the boots made for walking? Okay. And whose bed has those those boots been under? I'm, I'm, I'm. <laughs> are, are you hinting at something? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Did you just like pinch your face?